This podcast contains adult material, bad language, and spoilers. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony art. It's time for Agony Art. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony Art. Well, Agony Art is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that Instead of watching it fall, give Agony Art a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems not by using our brain power, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. And when we inevitably fail to solve those problems, at least you're left with a fun reading, listening and watching list to enjoy in your spare time. My name is Carl. I am a film watcher and TV show watcher, and various other thing watcher. All-round normal person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by Aaron, who is a book bison, book worm. That's my worm impression. <laughs> you, know, you know when you put your ear to the ground and you get, he's just here underground. Oh. <laughs> there are worms near. <laughs> your lemonade's just shaking. <laughs> <laughs> and Liam, our song siren. <laughs> and we're here in the um, swanky fourth bedroom. Docs in Aaron with his wealth. This is the fourth of ten bedrooms in this mansion. <laughs> in Four. Aaron's second castle. <laughs> I'll show you one of my Rolls Royces later. I'm a dinosaur bone. <laughs> Not again. Uh, say hello, boys. Hello. Uh, I had a thought in a shower this morning. Do you know everything we watch nowadays or consume? Everyone talks about foreshadowing. Mm. Yeah. Can you foreshadow in real life? <laughs> <You'd>... <laughs> <laughs> Only if you know what's going to happen. So is fate real? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that, if you no, because I think the only way you know what's going to ha- happen is if you've already planned it. So I could say I was going to throw a crust, custard pie in your face later. Mm. I could foreshadow that by saying, "Hey guys, any of you like custard pies?" But Liam, mm. but but if Liam saw you making the custard pie, that could have been foreshadowing the custard pie throw. Yeah, well, either way, the person knows what's going to happen. That doesn't mean that fate is real, does it? It just means that it does. they were there for the planning of that event. <laughs> also, if someone is walking around a corner and the sun is behind them and you see their shadow before you see them, that's a literal foreshadowing. If there are five sources of light around someone all casting different shadows, it's actually five shadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so what about if um, you're going to do something and I say, I think this will happen. Have I not foreshadowed the thing that happens if it happens differently to what you thought would happen? <laughs> I was too confused by all the happenings in that <laughs> sentence, to be honest. <laughs> so why do we build this into TV shows all the time, foreshadowing? It's clever, isn't it? It's just a storytelling device, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Is it clever anymore? Has it stopped being clever at this point? I don't think it's even a recent thing. I think maybe we just talk about it more. We talk about mm. the mechanics of storytelling a lot more now. Which yeah. ruins storytelling for us, doesn't it? It does a bit. You're exposing the guts of it, aren't you? You're breaking mm. the fourth wall a little bit, Yeah. which actually makes it less immersive. All right, but I've got a pretty hefty bit about narrative analysis later so oh my God. i love narrative analysis <laughs> and like i really love seeing the guts <laughs> i love seeing the guts of storytelling 
Okay. Um, now, before we begin, I want to make it very clear that we're not here to solve your life's hardest problems. All our submissions are certified 100% trivial or fictional pickles, and our advice should almost never be followed. We're really here just to have fun. So if you're having a real hard time, please check out our website for guidance and who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. Let's get on with it. Here's our first problem of the day. God, it looks like Arsenal going to blow the top four again. I've devoted 25 years of my life to this team, and I think I can do it anymore. But football is also all I have. What should I do? <laughs> why, did you, why did you turn into a Shakespearean actor halfway through? <laughs> <laughs> to football or not to football. <laughs> Um, the problem with this podcast is that we record quite far in advance. And I've written this down notice. myself, yeah. Is this still true, Carl? It's not. No, Arsenal no. are doing very well. In Arsenal fact, are doing very well. Right as we're recording, they're playing a game and they're winning 3-0. Oh, my <laughs> Away. And that will take them to top of the league. And, yeah, so there's a long time between when problems are sent in. This was probably sent in last season, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> And when we actually record them. And then there's a big break to when we actually release. So you're saying they're doing well now. They, they might be doing shit by the time. And this might be a, applicable again. Yeah. So I guess it's we'll keep it general, yeah? We won't talk about Arsenal specifically. That kind of shows you um, that that's just the roller coaster of being a football fan, though, I mm. suppose. Yeah. To anonymise this person, I think we've got a perfect name, haven't we? Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry. <laughs> I was just going to say Alan Kerbishley. <laughs> just... Any football name. <laughs> Graham Suness. <laughs> All right, Graham, we've got the perfect solution for you. So, Graham, most people, especially football fans, would probably tell you to stick by your team through thick and thin. Stand by them even though you know they'll always be disappointing. But I'm going to be brutal and give you the same advice I'd give to anyone in an endlessly disappointing relationship. Just end it. And I'm going to do that with the help of The Sun Also Rises. I you going to say The Sunk Cost Fallacy. <laughs> no, no. The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. One of the few Hemingway books I haven't read. And I'm surprised, actually, that I haven't talked about him on the pod. But it seems that I haven't because I was searching through the Agony Art website, just like you did last episode, Carl, mm. to search for Men in Black. But I just can't find any entries, so I'm guessing I haven't spoken about him. But Doesn't it show you how much content we cover when we have to see how we covered this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what bank for your buck for your no We've bucks? done quite a lot of episodes at this point, though, haven't we? Yeah. Including Lockdown Lights. It's- mm. And in answer to your question, Carl, yes, I will bang you for a buck. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've got no bucks. <laughs> oh. So, Jack Barnes in The Sun Also Rises is an American living in Paris with a war wound that makes it impossible for him to have sex. Hmm. I haven't read it, as I say, but I imagine there's a whole chapter detailing how his dick was completely and horrifically blown off and how he looks like a Ken doll down there. It's just flat skin. <laughs> anyway, the book is about his love story with Lady Brett Ashley, who is a twice-divorced Brit who bloody loves sex. She will fuck anything that moves. She bangs Jake's mate Robert, a 19-year-old matador, this bloke called Mike Campbell, and basically anyone else who walks past her. She just loves Is, is she who Ricky Martin wrote the song about? She bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby. <laughs> when she moves, she moves. So did she make it her mission to bang an unbangable man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how these is opposites attract, isn't it? <laughs> she loves banging, he can't bang. Can you see the problem there? So, they all go to... Pamplona in Spain where they do the ball, ball run, run thing yeah. Yeah. where 
four men who all want to bang Lady Brett come together. <laughs> That's disgusting. They all go on, on like a group uh, holiday. Sounds messy. There's no group sex. Oh. I don't think. I don't know. You I said come together. It. I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in this, <laughs> in the context of come together right <laughs> now, over, over me. Oh, that is the same context. <laughs> <laughs> and actually they end up having a big punch up because they all want to bang her now what Jake should have done was just walk away find someone better for him and maybe that's what you should do Arsenal don't care how you feel Arsenal, Arsenal's performance isn't being improved by your devotion I said keep it general didn't I your football team <laughs> your failing football team don't care how you feel and they don't want to bang you so just give them up Break off this toxic relationship and move on. They do care to some extent, though, because if you're not buying season tickets, then they're not, they're not making. I disagree now because that's a drop in the ocean compared to the. Um, if you're Premier League, anyway, the money from TV rights and things. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like one mm. percent of the income now. That's probably not right, but it's not. They could like have an empty stadium and still make millions. Mm. Mm. So, uh, and so shut up, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say, I'm surprised I haven't talked about Ernest Hemingway. I went to his house in um, Key West or Key Largo, somewhere in Florida. Was um, he really a depressive kind of guy? Wasn't he? Like not. Like, yeah, he was drunkard. a bit of a toxic bloke. Yeah, mm. he was. He had a toxic relationship with masculinity. He liked cats, which is nice. They've got a shitload of cats at his house still. Didn't and I? yeah, and, uh, well, <laughs> descendants of the cats that oh. he had. And a lot of them are polydactyl, which means they've got one more flying, finger than they should have. Flying dinosaurs. Why? Flying dinosaurs with fur. <laughs> um, they have one more toe than they should have. It's just a genetic mutation and My dog you pass that. it down. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, so no matter how many toes his cats have, Ernest Hemingway had a toxic relationship with masculinity. Um, he's obsessed with serving in the military, drinking, fighting. He was petulant. He'd stop talking to anyone who tried to help him with his writing. I heard... I don't know if this is true. Did you, F, did you try? F. Scott Fitzgerald <laughs> once tried to give him advice and he was like cast out by Ernest Hemingway and never to speak to him again. I don't know if that's true. Did he spend a long um, time in the UK? A bit, I think. Cause, yeah, cause yeah, I, I feel like there's loads of places where oh, Ernest Hemingway drank here or he painted something here or he yeah? Yeah, wrote I don't here. know. I don't, yeah. I don't know, to Not be honest. Yeah. Aaron, you're uh, a successful author. Mm. How would, I mean, how would you feel if somebody... Uh, like is a peer, not not someone who's like obviously much better than you, but someone who's like at your similar level. It is you hard. Says, you sent things off to be criticised by writers. Yeah, you? it's always hard to take criticism, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to do because you kind of think it's very easy to think. Well, you missed the point though, and you get angry, like or defensive rather, not angry, <laughs> fly into a rage. <laughs> But when it is your peers, it is that little bit more insulting, isn't it? Because it's like, you're not that much better than me, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you're not in a position where, you know, I have to I've look got some feedback you. for you. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. I don't know, Liam. How does it feel? Because what I would say is when you're podcasting, can you try and, like, not take as much time? Can you fuck off? <laughs> yeah, see? You get defensive. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but still, like, uh, even though you, it, the temptation is to get a bit defensive, I think... You have to style it out, don't you? You have to just go, oh, thanks. Thanks, mate. Bless your heart. Uh, but he didn't. He flew into a rage. And anyone who gave him advice and any of his wives, if they gave him a bit of attitude, he'd fly into a rage. And although he w was obsessed with being masculine and he'd go to great lengths to prove that he was, he also was quite masculine, to be fair. Like, he survived two plane crashes. I think within a few weeks of each other, 
one of which required him to use his head as a battering ram to get out of the wreckage. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but he's got, you know, that's cool, but he's also got things like that he thought made him masculine but really didn't. Like he apparently once boasted of shooting a dog in such a way as to ensure it would take it two days to bleed to death. Like he was bragging about that. What a prick. That's really shitty. Um, and this is what drove his love of bullfighting as well. There's a lot of bullfighting in this book and... He was obsessed with bullfighting, I think. I think that's what we learned at his house. And, you know, that's a barbaric sport where a man cruelly murders a defenceless animal because, you know, he likes that because it makes him feel really big and hairy. <laughs> According to biographer Mary Dearborn, his mum gave him these issues. When he was a baby, she had a tendency to hold him in her arms while firing pistols, so she was a bit off the rails. And she often insisted on treating him and his sister as twins, dressing Ernest up as a girl and making him feel not so big and hairy which led to a whole lifetime of him being insecure about his bigness and hairiness that's why he was you know obsessed with being masculine anyway so was he small and bald <laughs> he was tiny and bald yeah <laughs> looked exactly like danny devito <laughs> anyway i'm i'll let you read more about that in your spare time but it is another toxic relationship which someone should have just walked away from ernest and his bigness and hairiness Ernest and his mum, he did walk away from that one, he hated his mum. Jack and Brett from The Sun Also Rises, and you and your favourite football team, Nameless Football Team. When I was a lad, I thought this was a really interesting football question, and when I read it now, it's not really, but... Our quiz, asshole. Can you name UK football league teams with an X in the name? There are five. Wrexham. Exeter City? Or? Exeter City. Shit, we peaked too soon. Here's a clue. Webex. <laughs> Harold would like you to come into his branch. Halifax. Halifax. Oh, Harold. Good. Yeah, Harold. Who from gives the you Halifax extra? Out. Who? Who? We do. Anyway, <laughs> no. moving on. Was, no, was his name Harold? Yeah. Are you sure? sure? I'm almost certain. One has, one has a really famous university. Oxford. Oh, yeah. And one has two words in it. Brian Cox. <laughs> Crew. Alexandra. Alexandra. Oh. There's the five. Not as good as an adult. I thought it was cool. <laughs> and, uh, I'm glad you brought it to this episode then. Howard. 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 <laughs> <laughs> was Sorry, that was that. really bugging me. Uh, which team in the UK has the shortest name? It's no longer a league team, football league Port team. Mail? One word. One word, four letters. Begins with a B. Bath. No. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's Berry. Oh, Berry. Of course, yeah. And the longest name, Scottish team? Inverness Caledonian Thistle. There you go. One right. But which team has won the most FA Cup trophies? I think you're asking the wrong people. Yeah. This We've, was obvious. There was there was a whole section in one of our episodes where we were talking about and none of us are really <laughs> huge football fans. Uh, it Man relates United. to the question. Oh, for fuck's sake. Arsenal. Ah, Arsenal. Oh, right. So, oh, the, the, so I didn't hear that bit. <laughs> so really, it's their time to um, do badly. They've had their day in well, the summer. They have had success, yeah. So you have to take the rough with the smooth. We've, that's like been my advice throughout three seasons of agony art. You I'll know. take your rough with the smooth, darling. You? For a buck. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, another film that I think Liam knows. It turns out Liam is a cinephile because <laughs> this is one I think he knows well. 1993 Cool Runnings. Maybe oh, not. I feel the oh. rhythm. I think you do, yeah. See, yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever actually seen it all the way through, but what I have no. seen of it, I really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by um, a fellow called John Turtletaub. 
So the basic premise is uh, Darice is a Jamaican sprinter and he's looking to qualify for 1988 Olympics. Um, another sprinter called Junior stumbles and knocks him over during qualifying so he doesn't qualify. Still adamant to get to the games, he hatches a plan to qualify via bobsledding, a sport that Jamaica has never entered into and there's no chance of winning, basically. But he wants to go to the games. Um, the sprinter who didn't qualify and Sanka, who is a pushcart derby champion, come together to form the first Jamaican bobsled team. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> first Jamaican bobsled team. Um, under the guidance of Irv, played by John Candy, who's a disgraced bobsledder because he cheated, apparently. Bastards. Hmm. No, the, the the concept is, you know, is uh, legit. Underdogs. underdogs. The original underdog story. This is the original underdog story. <laughs> it is a classic 80s cheese fest, isn't it? Uh, well, it's come out in 1993. It's so. a classic <laughs> late 80s cheese fest. <laughs> it belonged in the 80s. Um I don't know. There's, there's like you know, we'll go into it a little bit, but um, you know, the concept is sound. They're sprinters. You need a fast start in bobsledding. No one's faster than a Jamaican sprinter, apart from whoever's faster at the moment. I don't know. <laughs> and um, they've got someone that's good at a push cart derby, so steering. So you know, they should do all right. And the film does build up to be like, oh my god, they're going to win an Olympic gold medal. My first problem is why is there a winter sport at the Summer Olympics? I don't know if that changed at some point or. Oh but, yeah. But um, that's interesting. I don't think it's based on a true story. I always thought that it was, but now that I think about it, probably not. <laughs> um, cool Runnings is loosely based on the true story of Jamaica National... Gen- I can't say a word. Loosely based on the true story of the Jamaica National bobsleigh team's debut in the competition during the 1988 Winter Olympics. Who knew that Jamaican oh, okay. National bobsleigh team was a tongue twister? <laughs> say it without any T's. I think it's one of those films where it has in big letters at the beginning, this is based on a true events, but it's not really. I mean, yeah, mm. obviously it is loosely, but yeah. it's not really anything like what we're in. Yeah, happened. there was a Jamaica national bobsleigh team. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's the true bit. <laughs> it's loosely based on that. Um, Who's Lucy? <laughs> so the whole film builds to the crescendo that you know the underdogs are going to perform. And then they don't. And they have a really bad outing first. Then they improve mm. in the second outing. And in their final one where people think, you know, up, 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 they crash and come last. Heartbreaking. Mm. And they, um, the film ends with them picking up the bobsleigh and walking over the finish line. And the crowd go wild. Which, yeah, says, you know, they owned it, tried, failed. But um, they want to come back to the Winter Olympics next, which they should, probably should have been at the moment. Well, why are they bobsledding during a sprint race? I don't know. But um, doesn't one of, when they're in the accident, doesn't one of them go, "You dead man, Sanka, you dead." Yeah. <laughs> um, so the point is, whilst things might look like you know this could happen, sometimes it just can't. Impossible is sometimes just impossible. So follow Arsenal without any expectation and just enjoy the ride, like we said during the Euros and the World Cups and things like that. If you're that desperate for them to win, it might not happen. So, you know, give up. Mm. The reason I've always liked Euros and World Cups and got really into them is that they are only once every four years. Mm. And I just think, why would you want to care that much every year? Yeah. (laughs) But that is the advantage if your team is failing this year. You've always got next year to look forward to. Maybe they'll do better next year. (laughs) I think I've said this before, but I will say it again. I don't. I, I don't know where people find the time to follow football. There's so much to follow. 
Like, what are you like on your phone all the time looking at results and figuring out who's who and watching the news reports and listening to podcasts? You're asking me. Yeah. Carl, oh, what, what are you, are you doing? Why are you so with obsessed with football? Well, I do have a season ticket to Tottenham, and I go regularly. But it is a lot. It's a lot. Out, well, it's a whole day. If you're going to if you're going mm. to football, your days are right off. But mm. what I don't understand is like people go down to the pub and they have full blown conversations, not just about their team, but about all of the teams but, and all of the players and all things like this. And it's like, how do you how do you have all this stuff in your brain? But you and I could have these conversations about like we spoke, video games. We spoke for an hour and a half about Batman. and you absorb information when you're really interested in something you absorb information without even having to look for it don't you you don't have to sit there and study scores not obsessed with video games (laughs) (laughs) but you know when you are not obsessed i wouldn't say we are obsessed to be honest but we love them a lot don't we you absorb that information without even meaning to you just Mm. you follow the right accounts on instagram you i don't know you read the same news websites or whatever they just do that for football instead. Hmm. So what you'd probably find Liam, it. is that there's no one in the world that has all the same interests as you plus football because you haven't got the time. But there's something else. I've always no, thought of it, for some people, it's a bit like a religion. Mm. Like, it's their escape from, like, on a Saturday. They the wife and kids. A bit, but like, it's in a horrible way. <laughs> sometimes it is. And people like, it's their day out. And I see people at football matches that, Go down for a drink at half time and never actually come back to see the second half of the game. They just stay down drinking. On that note, I'm going to give you some advice that's going to help you make your marriage even worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my advice, though. It comes from Tammy Wynette. Wait a minute. I know this song. Stand by your football team. (laughs) (laughs) Recorded and released in 1968. Stand by your football team. (laughs) Allegedly, this song was written in the studio in 15 minutes. Ah. Bullshit alert or not? No. In, in her sleep. sleep. In her sleep. <laughs> in one take. And it was released five days before England won the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Tammy Winnett was a little bit abstract in her advice because if you listen to her song and take it literally, it sounds like she's singing about somebody standing by their husband. Mm. Um, but I'm sure she'd agree that your love for Arsenal is exactly what she had in mind when she was recording the song. The opening verse is the most poignant. It goes, sometimes it's hard to be a woman, giving all your love to just one football team, man. Um, Eleven men. <laughs> and, and some subs and a manager. You'll have giving all times. your love to a squad of 23. <laughs> you'll have bad times and he'll have good times, doing things that you don't understand. But if you love him, you'll forgive him, even though he's hard to understand. You know, losing games and things like that. <laughs> And if you love him, I'll be proud of him, because after all, he's just a man. So the husband's abusive in this scenario. Is that what we're getting from this? or? And Tammy Winnett is saying, get over it, stand by him. Sure. <laughs> um, at the time... Problematic. Toxic, <laughs> toxic in, message, this. It reached number one in several charts internationally. But obviously, maybe, as time moved on, people started to... Obviously, think- maybe. That's it. Oasis album, oh, album yeah. <laughs> second album after definitely maybe um, people start to think of it less fondly the feminist movement of the late 60s which probably wasn't that long after the song came out to be fair um, and early 70s were understandably very critical of the message um, because yeah it's like let your husband sleep with who he wants and forgive him and stand by him and you know this view continued 
uh, in her interview with CBS about President Clinton's sexual encounter with Jennifer Flowers, Hillary Clinton famously said in this interview, I've leaked an email. (laughs) (laughs) Where's my emails? What she actually said was she wasn't some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. So, you know, Hillary Clinton... Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Quentin Blake. Is, is on board with all the Tammy Wynette hate as well. And Tammy Wynette... Has, oh, fucking hell. Tammy who? <laughs> Tammy Wynette has always defended the song against such criticism, saying that it's not about that. It's about accepting that husbands are only human and they might have their own faults and shortcomings, but... If you love them, you should attempt to overlook those things. He should be shortcoming really in another woman, then, should he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is, that is the thing, isn't it? Like, uh, someone having faults and being human and making mistakes is one thing. But going off and sleeping with someone else, it's, it's a bit much, isn't it? Mm, it's unnecessary. So my advice is, even though we've unanimously agreed that she's in the wrong, make up your own mind about Tammy Wynette. If you think she's got a point and that you should stand by your man, then suck it up, take it on the chin, and buy that next season ticket with your head held high like a true supporter would. Was suck it up and take it on the chin deliberate? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Was <laughs> no, it wasn't. Because... <laughs> It sounded deliberate. If you think you should stand by your man, then sack it up and take it on the chin. Oh, Liam. Yeah. You monster. On the other hand, <laughs> if you think Tammy Wynette is peddling a load of old shite, <laughs> then you should put your foot down. Screw Arsenal. Or don't screw Arsenal. Stop, Stop screwing, screwing Arsenal. Arsenal. Screw your man. Screw the football team. What are you doing, Liam? <laughs> Why should you stand around waiting for them to come home with some other woman's lipstick on their collar? Gonna what? I'm so happy now Because my problems have been solved I found this podcast It helped me with my worst of woes Now there's nothing in the way Of the happy life I've chased so long The only problem left Is I don't know how to write happy songs But I'm so happy now Yeah And a new chord. Moving on then to problem two of the day. My dad needs me to take over his business to survive retirement, but I'm doing pretty well on my own. I would have no idea what I'm doing. How can I wriggle out of it without sending my old man to the workhouse? Family businesses. Can you imagine being born into a business where you have to follow in your father's footsteps? Mm. Must be difficult, mustn't it? Because yeah. well, I come from a just... very long line of postmen, you know. My uh, my, my granddad was a postman. My my dad was a postman. Both of his brothers were postmen. One of them still is. I, I was going to say I was the first person in my family not to be a postman, but that's not true because my brother was older than me, so mm. still is. In fact, was, <laughs> was, was there like a? Um, When's your brother not going to be older than you? <laughs> I'm I'm hoping about five years. <laughs> I was going to say, um, was there like a a Sir Liam of the post of <laughs> of the post six hundred years ago or something? That you were descended from. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> One of his grandmas was in Letterbox. 
<laughs> yeah, that that granddaddy took it a bit too far. <laughs> this dynamic of like duty mm. uh, reminded me of my favourite comedy, Frasier. Oh mm. yeah, here we go. A ninety. <laughs> here we go back again. The best comedy of all time, except for yeah. when it's not. Yeah. A 93 to 2004 run, 11 years, uh, 264 episodes, I think. There are some rotters in there, but mostly it's all very good. Um, and it sets the scene straight away. The first episode, uh, Frasier, I don't know, you probably do know this, but Frasier is a spin-off of Cheers. Yes, Yeah. did know that. Good. So Cheers is set in Boston. So Frasier Crane was a character in Cheers, a kind of a side character, not really a main character. And then... Um, he moved to Seattle, where he grew up, in Fraser, to start a new career as a radio psychiatrist. And he has his really nice spatula pad because he's divorced. Um, he's living a really nice life. He's like he's quite wealthy because he's been a psychiatrist in Boston. So, Fraser is Kelsey Grammer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sideshow, sideshow Bob. Bob. <laughs> um, and his brother Niles is sideshow Mel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so he's looking forward to a nice new life in Seattle he's lost touch with his brother and his dad um, his brother Niles his dad Marty and he doesn't really intend to like rekindle that relationship those relationships too much rather than like you know normal the, the just do the main things like attend family stuff and all that kind of yeah. stuff yeah um, but it kind of all goes sideways side shows <laughs> it all goes sideshow Bob yeah. <laughs> this guy's a bit sideshow Bob um, when well this happened anyway but his dad had had to retire early from the police force because he got shot in the hip he's living alone but he keeps falling over so something's got to be done um, and he ends up having to move in with Frasier which kind of ruins his whole idea about this new life he's going to live and he comes with baggage and he comes with he has to have his chair which is horrible in his nice apartment lots of nice things and it kind of symbolises this massive thing right in the middle of the, his room, just kind of shoehorning its way into his life that he wanted, yeah. and it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit into his new life. So there's that kind of the comedy's about that them trying to get on with each other, a bit steptoe and sunny, which I've never seen, but I assume that's what it's about. Uh, I can't remember. I used to watch it when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah, because we you? used to spend a lot of time at my nan and granddad's, and they mm. used to watch it a lot. All right. Yeah, I think yeah. it was quite funny. Yeah. Would you be more annoyed if somebody came to live with you with baggage or without baggage? <laughs> well, they'd want to use my stuff, I suppose, if they didn't have baggage, right? <laughs> Depends. What if they're not your size? But as time progresses, they start to appreciate each other. Their relationship gets very, very close. They still annoy each other because they're very different. Marty's, he likes his sports. He likes drinking beer. Fraser's going to wine club and drinking sherry and with Niles and things like that. So they're very, very different. But their bond gets very strong. And ironically, and the whole Frasier series ends with Marty moving out and getting remarried, and him missing him. Um, so, actually, so this isn't one episode; it's the whole. This, premise. yeah, it all goes yeah throughout. So the Carl's, first, Carl spoiled the whole series. I basically, <laughs> I basically have. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point watching that. <laughs> the first episode is him moving into his apartment and sets the whole scene for eleven years, basically. So they kind of have to live together. For duty's sake, for, mm. he's got to do the right thing as a son, but it ends up actually enriching both of their lives. So, uh, whilst, I see what you're saying here. Mm, so take whilst, the job, and maybe you'll end up loving it. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Do you know? I don't know about you two, but the idea of 
not working for a big company that doesn't give a shit about you is yeah. really appealing. Owning your own business mm. does have an attraction, doesn't it? Does yeah. it? It sounds so stressful. Well, that's the problem is that you have to make the money. Yeah. And if you don't, you don't pay your bills. That's mm. the stress part of it. But the freedom of like you being no one above you, no baggage, especially mm. when you work with a, for a huge company, like the weight on your shoulders, you don't really realise. Like I've spoken to people that have been made redundant and left or retired mm. and stuff. And it's like the next day when you retire from a job like that, it's just like blissful mm. kind of thing. So and then a week later, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know, but I do like obviously like my job, and I like yeah. getting paid money. Is that in case your employers listening, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Please, please keep me there. <laughs> I've got a mortgage yeah. to pay. So yeah, you know, I think you need to do the pros and cons list if it's a successful business. And mm. it does well when your dad's live well out of it, then you will as well. So, you know, it's not something to sniff out. <laughs> Don't sniff at it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so duty dictates that you might have to do this, but it might be the right thing to do. So I am gonna go one step further than you, Carl. I'm oh gonna say one step break. closer to the edge. Oh, and I'm, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say hmm. you should absolutely listen to your old man because he's a dustman. He's right. <laughs> and if you don't listen to him, things could go horribly wrong. And the first thing that I thought of when I read this problem was uh, an old tune, which I thought was called My Old Man Said Follow the Van. But it's actually called Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. Uh, oh, is that on the index? <laughs> very interesting. You should ask, Carl. I'm glad you did. <laughs> this is not a folk song. Oh. This is a musical song. The first we've ever had here on Agony Art. Really? Really? There's no music. Oh, music like halls. Music, yeah, not musical. A music <laughs> I was hall. Say, okay. You've definitely had songs from music halls. <laughs> a music what? Music hall. A hall with music in it. Oh. So when you enter the hall, it's just permanently playing music. So as soon as you leave, you can never listen to. <laughs> so if you open the door slightly, it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it was. I'm assuming you both know this song. Yeah, everyone knows this song. My old man said, "Follow the van. Don't dilly dally on the way." Off I went dilly dallying all down the road. And, much I, it, yeah. <laughs> and I tread on a big fat toad. Do you and know I dillied and dallied, <laughs> dallied and dillied. Lost my way and don't know where to roam. I don't know the words. Uh, you, oh, I thought you knew most of them. There was nothing about a toad in the <laughs> Do you know the obscene football chant version? No. Um, is something along the lines of, My old man said be a Millwall fan. And I said, fuck off, you're a c- <laughs> anyway, this the, the actual song Don't Dilly Down the Way was written in 1919 by Fred W. Lee and Charles Collins and made popular by Marie 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 Lloyd. Marie Lloyd. <laughs> so, Music Hall is a tradition dating back to the mid 1800s. The earliest ones are in like the 1850s, I think. Um, and it's quite similar to the American, uh, well, actually, French vaudeville tradition. The, became evolved into something else in North America and it's the North American tradition that it's similar to. I've heard of dance hall. Is that where they just dance in a hall constantly? I think that's a bit later, maybe. And you open the door and it goes, one, two, three, cha-cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> so what you'd do, you'd go to this hall, right? And you'd enjoy a night of popular songs, comedies and specialty acts, which would be like, you know, juggling, ventriloquism, acrobatics, magic, that sort of thing. And other variety acts. Basically, it was Victorian Britain's Got Talent. But every night, in the theatre. All right. Did they have gold buzzers? 
Uh, yep, Ant and Dec come out. <laughs> slam it every now and again. <laughs> Um, and Fred W. Lee and Charles Collins were quite prolific writers of popular songs at the time. Charles Collins, for example, wrote Any Old Iron uh, as well as this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know Any Old Iron, right? Everyone knows Any Old Iron. No. You, you don't. Any Old Iron, Any Old Iron, Any, any, any Old Iron. Hey, come on, Mother Brown, where you get your knees up. Knees up, Mother Brown? No. Oh. That's Knees Up, Mother Brown. <laughs> Why do you say, come on, Mother Brown, get your knees up then? Because that's what you do in the musical. <laughs> How do you not know about this? No, I've you call yourself it. a cockney. I've never heard of No, I don't actually. That's <laughs> <laughs> what Carl prides himself on. <laughs> Hello, mate. All right, well, never mind then. I was going to do a thing about saying, wouldn't it be great to tell someone that you wrote this? But obviously not, because no one knows it. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be great. People are going, what's that? <laughs> I always said to um, my wife, you could easily pretend that you did stuff like this. Like mm. to the parents at uh, my little boy's school, I could say, "Oh yeah, you know, I used to be uh, Shanks in Shanks and Bigfoot." <laughs> like, who's going to not believe that? Kids basically do do that, though, don't they? Kids are always saying, yeah. "My dad works at blah blah blah, and he invented the nin- Nintendo Switch." <laughs> <laughs> when really, yeah. when really, their dad is a bricklayer <laughs> for the post office. Building post offices everywhere. So don't dilly dally on the way. I always thought my old man's "If Follow the Van" was about someone talking about their dad. Turns out it's about a wife talking about her husband. That's what I thought it was about—a wife. And hasn't she got a bird in a cage at some point? Yeah, old cock Linnet. Yeah, I didn't know that was a bird. I didn't know what that was. I thought that was one of those big Victorian hoods. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because then off with my old clock. Cock linnet. Yeah, I walk behind with me old cock linnet. Uh, oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did it in the wrong line then. It's in the next line. And there's also quite a strong social commentary behind this um, that isn't too obvious nowadays because we're not Victorian. Uh, in the song, <laughs> the, the wife and the husband, they have to move out of their house and they have to do it at quite short notice because they can't pay the rent. Um, and that was quite common in those days. And landlords, they weren't always very understanding like they might be nowadays, and they forced people to move out on the spot, and these midnight flights would be, you know, a thing that people had to do. Yeah, because all I've ever heard is that landlords these days have hearts of gold. (laughs) (laughs) They're incredibly understanding. (laughs) So they fill up the van, they put all their belongings in it, everything from their house, and it's so full that... The husband says to the wife, you have to walk behind, you can't get on. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, it's not great, is it? But anyway, she does. She walks behind with a bird in a cage, a cocklinet. Uh, incidentally, cocklinet, do you know what a cocklinet is? No. It looks a bit like a robin, a small little bird, red breast. Oh. Might have seen one. Did you know that robin. when robins fight, they um, are very aggressive and they try and bite each, the backs of each other's necks to try and paralyse the other robin, to try and mm. sever their spinal cord. They're uh, very so, territorial, aren't they? So robins look really sweet and everyone loves them, but actually they're real little bastards. bastards. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they tried to break bastards. your spinal cord. Yeah. <laughs> I had a robin trying to break my spinal cord the other day. <laughs> Luckily, his mate Batman came along. <laughs> <laughs> so in this case, the old man, as you know, says, follow the van, don't dilly-dally on the way. What does she do? Dilly-dally on the way. She dillies and dallies. Mm. She dallies and dillies. She doesn't just dilly and dally. She dallies and dillies as well. Is there a willy and a welly or something like that? <laughs> it's not that kind of song. Dilly and dallied with my willy and my welly. <laughs> on Wikipedia at this point, they say, unfortunately, en route, the wife loses her way after stopping at a pub for a drink. Yeah. Is that unfortunate? 
Citation. <laughs> it's not unfortunate for her. Citation needed. Citation needed, yeah. <laughs> Though there is a citation needed because I was trying to look at the original source and I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd argue use of the word unfortunate there because she decided to go to the pub for a drink. Yeah, it wasn't beyond her control, was it? Yeah. Because she went for a pint, she lost the van and she can't find her way home. And depending on which version of the song you listen to, there's a number of different re- things additional about her not being able to find her way home. In the most common one, I think, or the one I know best, uh, she doesn't trust the specials. The, uh, the special the police. Band, the Scar Band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because she, this town is becoming like a ghost to get, town. She's trying to get a message to Rudy. <laughs> um, no, she, she doesn't trust the specials like the old time coppers, so she can't find her way home because she don't want to ask them. Uh. So what's the point? Well, point is obvious, I think. Listen to your old, old man, even if you don't like it, because he's right and you shouldn't be dilly and a dally and follow the van. Stay in the family business. Oh, wow. Because if you don't, you might end up having to move out of your house at midnight because you can't afford the rent. And then you might <laughs> lose the van, go to the pub for a drink and then get totally lost and you'll never be able to find your way home. Mm, it'll just be you and your bird wandering the streets. You and your cock linnet that looks like a robin. Yeah. You're bastards. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm surprised, to be honest, that both of you have said stay in the business. That's mad to me. I've got a slightly off the wall suggestion for this one, though. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Living off the wall. That's a lot higher than I thought it was. <laughs> and mine is a book that's described as Crazy Rich Asians Meets the Crown. And this book is called American Royals by Catherine McGee. Um, have you seen the film Crazy Rich Asians? No. It's really good. Thanks. Now, this book asks the question, uh, what if the American Revolution had resulted not in George Washington becoming president, but becoming king? Interesting. And it's a series of books, and that's what they imagine. And two centuries later in this series, the House of Washington still sits on the American throne. And as the Penguin Random House website puts it, like most royal families, the Washingtons have an heir and a spare. A future monarch and a backup battery. Princess Beatrice is the heir to the throne, and Samantha is the spare that they're talking about now. No one pays attention to Samantha unless she's causing a stir. But Beatrice, she's you. She's the one who's trapped into inheriting the throne. I haven't read the book or any of the books. And it seems to be more about the exploits or sexploits and gossip of this imagined American royal family. But the blurb just gave me an idea. Think Succession if you've watched it. And if you haven't, then do watch it. Have you watched Succession, lads? Carlos. Yes, I'm watching at the moment. You're watching it slowly, aren't you? You're doing one episode a week, like normal. No, it's like just been... You do. We want to really concentrate on it, so if like one of us is working in the evening, we don't watch it. So we're on the last episode of first season. Think Succession, think Game of Thrones, think any number of other shows and books that have talked about politics and competition for a throne, except turn those on their heads, because you don't want this throne, <laughs> Sir Alan. What they would normally be about is watching your back, looking out for people who are after your job, but you actually don't want the job. Game and of you're... no friends. <laughs> <laughs> Game of giving away the throne. <laughs> you don't want the job. What I think you should do is find someone who can usurp you. <laughs> find someone, Princess Beatrice, Sir Alan. Can you usurp me? <laughs> <laughs> who is better for the job than you. In your case, find someone who better for taking over your family business than you would be. 
find Princess Samantha in the case of American Royals or just one of your mates who might enjoy your family business better than you would. Be a recruiter instead. Not literally join Hayes Recruitment or someone like that, but <laughs> find someone else who would be more suitable for the job. And then you can go to your dad saying, look, I really don't want to take over the business, but at least it's not all problems. You're delivering a solution as well. You're saying, but I found this bloke. He's your apprentice. Dad, Sir Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Has Alan Sugar got kids? I don't know. I don't he know, must have. Yeah. No idea. This is a really good point though, because my whole point was you got to fulfill your duty. But you're fulfilling your duty by getting someone else to do it. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. bring... Outsourcing. Yeah. <laughs> Outsourcing duty. <laughs> bring someone who's not in your family into the family business. Does that mean he has to bring his family? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It has to be a family business. There has to be some family involved. Can you help me with my problem? I think that it might be a long shot. My problem is you see that no one believes that I am not a robot. Executing procedure. Problem solving. Moving on to problem three. I'm really keen on saving up and moving out of our flat next year. However, my husband thinks we should enjoy our life. Spend all our money. Stop worrying about the future. How do I get him to understand I'm trying to future-proof? Future-proof or idiot-proof? Oh, that's totally different. Childproof. <laughs> Rainproof. Rainproof. <laughs> uh, this is a lot like the problem from episode six, isn't it? In which someone wanted to do their bathroom up and their girlfriend wanted to go around the world instead. Or the one from last week where the couple couldn't agree on the kitchen hot water tap. Maybe it's the same person. I think after the year we've had and the financial trouble that a lot of the world has been thrust into we're getting a lot of mm. we're dealing with a lot of the brunt of that do you think we're well equipped enough to I deal think with we are single-handedly solving. martin lewis in the, co- the public <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be the new martin lewis's yeah. can we the, call ourselves that the martin <laughs> Louis. <laughs> oh yeah the sorry. Louis. <laughs> sorry i forgot the plural of lewis was Louis. <laughs> <laughs> well in fact yeah i know that i keep coming up with the names mm. <laughs> sorry but maybe we should call him martin lewis this yeah. person who's written in yeah let's do it yeah, i think i think martin. martin lewis has written in before actually oh actually i think you're right i think I mean, whenever that's... we get a financial problem we just, we just say it's martin lewis he's asking us he's telling other people <laughs> should we come up with a different name then louis Someone... martin <laughs> all right louis martin <laughs> yeah. liam let's go to you for the first uh help for this one Sure. Well, you know, as I was reading this, one thought kept going through my mind. Oh, God. That one thought. That one thought. There's always one. There's always one. Was it about foreshadowing? Funny you should mention it. (laughs) Can you you foreshadow in real life? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to find out. I think, Louis Martin, I think your husband is the Alexander Hamilton to your Aaron Burr. But there's a million things he hasn't done. Just you wait, Carl. Just you wait. (laughs) And of course, I'm speaking metaphorically because I don't think there's any evidence of a romantic relationship between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Now, we have spoken. Yet. There's always time (laughs) in the afterlife. (laughs) I'm the one that shot him. I love his face. (laughs) (laughs) So we have spoken about Hamilton before on the podcast. 
Have we? No, I don't think I don't recall. <laughs> we last covered a song from I think you're one. thinking of the greatest showman. Yeah, oh, yeah we point, always talk about that. We all love it, don't we? <laughs> it was back in series one though. Um and it is my favourite musical, so we're gonna talk about it again. I know what you're thinking. I've never said Howard. Who's this Aaron Burr you're talking about? What so who is Aaron Burr? Well, let me tell you about Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Please don't tell us their life stories. I'm going to tell you their life story. <laughs> they began as friends and they ended as nemeses. Right at Thorpe Park. Exactly. The Nemesis Inferno. And Orton Towers, yeah. That's the small one. The big one's at Orton Towers. The oh, Nemesis right. Inferno is based on Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and Burr is kind of the antagonist of the play but not in a pure evil sense. He's very much like a second main character and his mindset and motives are thoroughly explored. Like you, Aaron Burr is cautious. He watches and he waits. He's very careful. And he doesn't act until he's quite sure it'll work out well for him. If he was in your place, he wouldn't dream of spending all that money. He'd want to, he'd want to be honouring his family's legacy and saving up for a nice house so that people would think more highly of him. He wouldn't buy it now. He'd wait for it. Wait for it. Hamilton, on the other hand, is not cautious. So in, in Burr's song, Wait For It, which Aaron foreshadowed just then. Oh, shit. <laughs> foreshadowing all over ourselves today. <laughs> which, can I just say, is an absolute banger. Uh, he tells us that Hamilton doesn't hesitate. He exhibits no restraint. He just takes and he takes and he takes and he keeps winning anyway. Hamilton is the polar opposite to Burr in this sense. He doesn't care what other thinks at all. He just does what he thinks is right and damn anyone else who thinks differently. And, you know, his signature line comes up numerous times in the show is, I'm not throwing away my shot. He says, talk less, smile more, doesn't he? That's what Burr says to Hamilton when they first meet. Mm. And Hamilton says, you can't be serious. Did you know that not throwing away my shot is a reference to a letter that Hamilton wrote about his duel with Aaron Burr? No. He wrote in his letter that he's going to throw away his shot. Oh, because in the air. he was going to shoot it in the air. So I'm going to come back to that because there's more foreshadowing. Uh, There's so much foreshadowing <laughs> in this episode. Oh, so, we're such great literary writers. Is that a thing? No. I don't know. Let's get into the guts of it. For, for, Hamilton, <laughs> for Hamilton, this works out. And this this attitude really works out. And this infuriates Burr because Hamilton, who's a bastard orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman. Fucking son of a Scotsman. What a dickhead. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> bit, isn't it? <laughs> um, Hamilton improves his social standing at the same rate, if not quicker than Burr and Burr is like already had this head start of coming from a respectable family with this great legacy and he hates it and um, so over the course of Hamilton Burr gets more and more put out by this and he starts to change his own behaviours to be more like Hamilton he starts to do whatever it takes to get what he wants and it seems to go well for him initially so he, sw- he switches his political views and becomes a member of the Democratic Republicans um, and he in doing so since he, when were you a democratic republican since being one put him on the up and up again oh. uh, and he <laughs> he basically still and Peggy <laughs> do you feel un- under equipped for the line quote in car <laughs> I do a bit I've, you know, I've seen it more than once I know the gist but I don't know it like this um, and Peggy <laughs> Burr basically steals Hamilton's father-in-law's seat in the senate and that's one of the reasons why Hamilton starts to dislike him. But he, this kind of, this hatred really builds up because Burke shows again and again that he doesn't really have any firm beliefs. What does he say? I really like what he says when they first meet, saying, how can you stand, if you don't stand for nothing? What's he, that line? He says, um, 
If you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? That's it. I like that one. Who, who yeah. are you? Who are you? Who are you? Oh, who the fuck who is, is this kid? kid? What's he going to do? I am that front. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums up Burr, though, doesn't it? Like, he's just, he doesn't, he's, he's a politician, doesn't stand for anything. He stands for whatever gets him more forward. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And ultimately, Hamilton sees right through that, and it becomes really important when, in the election of 1800, Hamilton influences his fellow federalists, his fellow federalists, not to vote for Jefferson. Uh, sorry, not to vote for Burr, but to vote for Jefferson instead. Who he doesn't like anyway. Who he doesn't like, mm. but he doesn't like Burr more. Um, and Burr goes mad about this, absolutely livid. Ghost hits. He, he writes some very. <laughs> <laughs> he writes some very angry letters. I love that time of. History. I'm going to write a fucking pamphlet about you. Yeah, and he's, he's, he demands that when someone's angry and they write a letter, it always reminds me of The Simpsons. <laughs> when I can't remember what they're complaining about, but someone says, "I'm going to write some angry emails about this in red and bold." <laughs> and someone says, "My computer has 256 shades of red." <laughs> Something like that. I've probably misquoted, but yeah. that's what I think of every time. I'm like, what, you're going to write your letter in bold? <laughs> so so Burr's writing all these letters to Hamilton and he's saying, you need to retract these statements about me because they're, you know, they're making very bad things happen to my reputation and I'm, I'm not going to stand for it. <laughs> so eloquent. <laughs> making bad things happen to my reputation. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and Hamilton's like, well, I said... What I said because I believed it and it's true, so I'm not going to retract it. So, so fuck get you. Over it. And uh, there's nothing for it. They have to have a duel to the death. Given that Burr tells us the outcome of the duel in the first four minutes of the show, spoilers. It's not really a spoiler, is it? He's the damn fool that shoots him, and he does shoot him. What happens? We get this is this is why I love Hamilton. We get a double dose of dramatic irony at the end. That's what happens. They go to the dueling ground, and in their final moments... There's rain on their wedding day. And they, <laughs> on the way there, they get a free ride when they've already they've paid. Already paid. <laughs> and, and on this day, just before the duel, Alexander Hamilton did the lottery. No, when it comes to the duel, Alexander Hamilton does the one thing that he's told us throughout the entire show that he won't do. He throws away his shot. He doesn't shoot. Burr does the one thing that we don't expect from him. He doesn't hesitate. He shoots Hamilton without even thinking. And the last line he says before he does it is, he aims his pistol at the sky, wait! But it's too late. He's already shot him. And yeah, and that's it. It's too late. He's already shot him. And in trying to redeem his reputation, Burr absolutely ruins it and it's in tatters and he never comes close to being president again, which is what he wants to do. So yeah, you're Burr in this situation. Don't you see? Don't you see the link? You're Burr. Your husband is Hamilton. Burr wasn't a bad person, just like you're not a bad person. But Burr started to do bad things when he stopped being himself and started trying to be like your husband, Hamilton. You need to learn from Burr's mistake. Don't change who you are, because it won't end well. You know, you want to sit down with your husband, you want to explain where you're coming from, why you think it's best not to spend everything you have, and stick to your guns, and don't pull out your gun and shoot him. Learn from Burr's mistake. And after all that, if you still can't convince him to spend the money, you should... Try and persuade him to spend it on going to see Hamilton because Hamilton is so good. I fucking love Hamilton. I think you just wanted to talk about Hamilton for that one. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. But it was good because it was another instance of foreshadowing because what did I finish the last problem with? George Washington and his royal family. Mm. Here comes the general. Yeah. Given what we talked about at the beginning of this problem that well, I think, you know, the cost of living crisis, whatever you want to call it, has hit us all so hard 
you would think that I would direct you to some books about finance and money management that would help your husband see the light and, you know, save your money instead. Like the three most important lessons you've ever been taught by Martin Lewis. You foreshadowed. (laughs) Your Money or Your Life by Vicky Robin or even Cautionary Tales. Like what I've recommended before, The Big Short, Inside the Doomsday Machine by Michael Lewis. Must be Martin Lewis's brother. Last recommended in Season 2, Episode 11. Or The Wolf of Wall Street by Jordan Belfort. But I feel like, as we've spoken about, we've done a few financial problems and we're always giving fairly sensible advice, aren't we? So I'm going to just completely go off the wall and not even really comment on finances at all. And it's only really sort of vaguely related to money. So what I'm going to do is not solve your problem at all. Just give you a book recommendation. It's that third problem, let's fucking wrap the episode up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Third problem, fuck it. <laughs> Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson, set in LA in the 21st century, sometime after a global financial crash. Ooh. Sound familiar? To quote Wikipedia, since it will do a better job at summarising the setup for this book than I will. Los Angeles is no part, no longer part of the United States since the federal government has ceded most of its power and territory to private organizations and entrepreneurs. Mercenary armies compete for national defense contracts while privately sec- private security guards preserve the peace in sovereign gated housing developments. Highway companies compete to attract drivers to their roads and all mail deliveries by hired courier. The remnants of government maintain authority only in isolated compounds where they do tedious make-work that is, by and large, irrelevant to the society around them. Make-work is essentially job creation schemes, you know, stuff that you're just giving people a job for the sake of it and actually it delivers no benefit. Mm. We always learn about a uh, tuna tin factory somewhere in Africa that the UN helped build and it was nowhere near the sea. And... (laughs) The nearest, so place, the nearest place of the sea didn't have any tuna. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so that's mate work. Much of the work. Much of the world's territory has been carved up into sovereign en- enclaves known as the franchise-organised quasi-national entities, each run by its own big business franchise, such as Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong or the corporatized American Mafia or various residential burbclaves, which are quasi-sovereign gated communities so you can see that capitalism has ravaged the u.s now it does sound a bit deep doesn't it but the protagonist's name is hero protagonist shut <laughs> up are you joking oh my god <laughs> he's a hacker whose mate david with a five, <laughs> in- five instead of the v gets a virus while he's in the metaverse metaverse shit Gets a virus. The meaty metaverse. (laughs) Would you love to go to a party up in the metaverse? (laughs) I'm a vegetarian, Carl. (laughs) I'm not. Um, Gets a virus while he's in the metaverse and gets brain damage from it. A bit like the Matrix. If you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. Mm. Sorry, I'm very mindful that I'm interrupting you with something uh, completely unimportant. But I feel like this is important for me at least. The metaverse, right? I don't know if I'm just... This is just one of those things where I'm too old to realise that it's a real thing. But it seems to me that it's a load of bollocks. It's not a real thing and it's, yeah, it's a load of bollocks. But this is where the term was coined in this book. Okay. Uh, well, so they Facebook renamed itself Meta based on this book, almost. Uh, in a chain of events, yeah. Mm, well, you could say that. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's getting dark in it. So after that, after his mate gets brain damage, Hero goes on an adventure that involves ancient languages, drugs, Eurasian refugees, and cryptocurrencies that ended up making Neil Stevenson one of the major sci-fi writers of the 90s. So quite a lot of foreshadowing, actually, in this book. He predicted cryptocurrencies, metaverse. I I don't think he was the first person to predict cryptocurrencies. I think a lot of people had done that. Anyway, this was written in 1992, and it mentions the metaverse, something that we've only just... 30 years later, started seeing stupid companies like <laughs> Facebook and Microsoft are getting on the bandwagon, uh, getting obsessed with. In fact, this book coined the phrase, quoting Wikipedia, users of the metaverse in this book gain access to it through personal terminals that project a high-quality virtual reality display onto goggles worn by the user or from low-quality public terminals in booths with the penalty of presenting a grainy black-and-white appearance. Stevenson also describes a subculture of people choosing to remain continuously connected to the metaverse by wearing portable terminals, goggles, and other equipment. They're nicknamed gargoyles due to their grotesque appearance. Within the metaverse, individual users appear as avatars of any form with sole restriction of height to prevent people from walking around a mile high. (laughs) So it's just as stupid in this book as it is in our world. (laughs) It's people wearing VR headsets and basically playing The Sims in first person in order to escape their real lives to enter a shit online life that like what they were selling you say that though but how popular is second life i don't know it was is second life still going i don't know not looking at this that much um this is the problem though it's there will everything anything you can invent will be picked up by a bunch of small losers (laughs) (laughs) or rather a small bunch of losers Like this podcast. Does that make it successful? Yeah, like this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is, like, it's just stupid. The way Facebook were trying to sell it a couple of years ago, maybe, when they were first like, we're going to rename ourselves Meta because that will make us forget all the disgusting things we've done. (laughs) They were like, you can have meetings virtually. And it's like, we can have meetings physically so why would we need to do it virtually and anyway we already can like you don't need to put on a vr headset and look around a virtual room to have a pour yourself a coffee yeah a virtual meeting we can just go on zoom this sounds stupid i don't want to live a virtual life it's stupid and it's not going to catch on and nor will this internet thing do you think um (laughs) we're going to people keep talking about mobile phones no there's a talk about a kind of a devolution if you like we spoke about before of technology where you start distancing yourself from like high tech and get more simple. I am like that. Yeah. I have a computer, a computerized job. <laughs> <laughs> I work with computers on a daily basis. That is my job. And it's all very technical and stuff. And I would love to be able to completely distance myself <laughs> and never use a computer again, but and uh, except for video games, yeah. <laughs> like, use a computer to play video games, and that's it. All I do is in the evening, I put on a headset, and I transform myself into a different life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I do is play Second Life. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that all of that stuff aside, just mm. to speed this up and get it done, <laughs> there are two ways you can take this book. Either you could be sensible with your money in case private on enterprises and entrepreneurs take over the modern world and it's the only way you can survive in the bleak future where everyone wears headsets to become minotaurs in the stupid metaverse or you could blow all all your money on whatever you want 
and you think that future sounds like a load of bullshit and future proofing for it is about as much use as tits on a ball so just fucking nipples on a breastplate nipples on a breastplate you know I'm giving no advice basically I'm just saying there are two ways you could take that do what you want solve your own fucking problem honestly (laughs) get the fuck out (laughs) Um, okay interesting so um, do you reckon you can help Louis more than me Carl I don't know really but I'm going to talk about uh, one of my favourite TV shows ever. Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a comedy. Oh. The Sopranos. Oh, oh. <laughs> I see what he did there. Sopranos is fantastic. And everyone, like, if you haven't seen it, you would think it's just like a mob thing, like a Goodfellas TV show. But it's really not. There's a lot of foreshadowing. <laughs> A lot of motifs, a lot of symbolism. I can't see a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many shadows. But it is really, 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 really good. And I um, would tell you to watch it. It's on, Sky, it's on Sky at the moment, yeah. I, fun fact, I watched uh, the first series, I think, on an iPod classic on the coach to Leeds. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible way to watch it. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I couldn't do that now. No. But back then, fact. that was something that you could do and not really think about it. So... In um, just like you know, it, it, it's a series one to six B, like six A and six B for some reason. It's a whole arc of all the characters have like a story, but this one I'm just focusing on one particular thing here. In series four, episode eight, mergers and acquisitions aired in two thousand two. Part of season four is Carmilla, Tony Soprano's wife, Carmilla Soprano, being worried about not knowing where the money is, what happens. Like they talk about 80% of people in the Mafia go to prison or get killed, basically, as a rule. So Tony thinks nothing's ever going to happen. I'm going to be fine. I'm you know, I'm being careful, even though he isn't careful. Like he, When he kills someone, he, he, he takes something personally and goes and kills the person, and there's a witness that sees him. And like he's like, fuck, I, need, I really fucked up. I need, no, I need to, like, I'm the... The boss, I need to not be doing shit like this. Um, so Carmela is well aware that it's likely he's going to end up not supporting the family at some point. And they always say when someone dies or someone goes to prison, the family get looked after by the rest of the family, mob family. And it doesn't really happen, you see, during the series. So she's pushing him to invest in normal stuff, legitimate stuff, like uh, stocks and shares and life trusts and all this kind of stuff. And he does do it to some extent, but she's still doesn't think it's good enough and she wants to secure the future for herself but he never lets her know where any money is or what's going on she's like, he always says you'll be looked after don't worry and she's like well i do worry so after he says that he's not cheating her anymore and she finds someone a girl's fake now in his clothes she gets really fucked off and she finds that he's been hiding money in his bird feeder like bin where he's got loads of duck feed and there's like just wrapped up wads of cash in there so she steals 50 grand and she goes to various other places to deposit it and invest it in stocks and shares, basically. So she takes it into her own hands. And, like, can you, did she steal it when it's her husband? It's a bit grey, isn't it? Like, obviously, it's not legitimate money. Um, but what she's doing is getting her ducks in a row. Mine and Aaron wives, I know, are big fans of Mum's Net. And I don't, mm. know, I don't know if they've got. Have they got their ducks in a row, our wives? I don't know. Have we they? don't know. I don't know. That's the point. We're not supposed to know. When we come back off holiday, my wife said, give me your passport. I was like, but I need access to my important documents. What, how, what if something goes wrong, you know? <laughs> so um, anyway, you need to be comfortable in your relationship as well. 
and you need to you need to be on the same page with this kind of thing and maybe you need to have a, a joint approach like you have a set amount that you can spunk up the wall <laughs> I think I probably have got a set amount I can spunk <laughs> up the wall <laughs> I need to work out how much you can, what you need to put away for your, how much smoke you need to save. <laughs> um, but yeah, so maybe not steal money, but definitely, you know, try a two-pronged approach to this issue. Which is a bit like uh, the advice I gave last week with the dinosaurs. you got to get on the same page. You've got to agree on all money decisions. Get on the same page. Mm. Well, that's all we have time for today. Check the episode notes or agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today. And for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist where you can listen to all of the songs, maybe. If you have a problem you'd like to, to, to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on the website. I would like to thank our resident Agony Arts for their contributions. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. No problem. And thank you pickles for listening we'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out see ya bye bye son <laughs> but i'd suggest keep it light because their advice can be shite and they won't be held liable. liable oh no not at all not here at agony art